This Week at Hope Point. If you feel like you were close to God through music or art or exercise, if you feel like you encounter God through political activism or saving the planet or sacrificing everything for your family, if that is the essence of religion for you, then Satan will encourage you to pursue that as long as it keeps you from pursuing Jesus Christ. The most important decision you'll ever make in life is who or what you will worship. For whatever you worship most, you will devote the greatest part of your time, attention, energy, and resources to it. Whatever you choose to be your Savior is vital because at the end of your life, you will find out if it was worthy of your devotion. This is why Revelation 13 is so important, because it helps us to avoid the wrong person or wrong thing during our pilgrimage on earth. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from Revelation chapter 13. The most important decision you'll make in life is determining who or what you'll worship. For whatever you worship most, you'll devote the greatest part of your time, affection, and energy and resources to. Everybody in this room is going to worship something. You're either going to worship the right thing or the wrong thing. But there's going to be something in your life that is the most important thing in your life. That is your Savior. That's your God. It's, it's going to be the source of your greatest happiness. It's where you're going to place all your trust. It's going to be the foundation of your hope. And whatever that thing really is, that thing is actually your Savior. It's your functional Savior. You might say, well, I don't like calling my car my Savior. But if that's what you think about, dwell on, worry about, obsess about the most then that's your, that's your savior. You're depending on that thing to save you. You're the, depending to save you emotionally, depending on saving you um, spiritually, physically. That's your savior. That's your God. Whatever you choose to be your savior is the most important decision of your life because at the end of your life, you're gonna find out, was it able to be my savior? Because when you die, breathe your last breath, and you're at your most vulnerable, lifeless position, is that thing you trusted in in this world, can it now raise you up? Or was it an inadequate Savior? And can it bring you, save, can it bring you joy now? And has that thing or that person, has it earned the right, that you think you're calling your Savior, has it earned the right to be your Savior this is why I like Revelation 13, which I think is the most important chapter of the book, certainly the most complex, difficult chapter to teach, because it helps us avoid the eternal mistake of buying into the propaganda that someone else can be your savior. Because that's what the whole chapter is about, this conflict between God and the alternative voice of Satan, who is seeking to tell you that he is able not just to save you, but he's more worthy of being your savior than, than Jesus. So this is why I love the fact we just sang this song about overcoming because that's what Revelation 13 is all about is how do I overcome this voice from another savior that says, 
I am superior to Jesus. How do you do that? Revelation 13 tells you about that. I remember when we began our series in Revelation in November, I would have the most well-meaning people, slightly annoying, most well-meaning people saying, I just can't wait to get to chapter 22 where we can celebrate who wins. And I grew up under that kind of preaching where the preacher would say, well, I don't know who, I don't know a lot about Revelation, but I know who wins. And then he would get a mercy amen from the church. And all he was doing was telling his churches, I'm too lazy to study. Because the book is a whole lot more than who wins. The book is about how we win, how we overcome, how we resist, how we believe. God does his part for sure in the winning, but we do our, over, our, our part as well in the overcoming. And that's what Revelation 13 is about, how not to worship the wrong person. In order for you to understand who the right person is, and we're gonna see the counterfeit of, of that in Revelation 13, I just want to remind you again, the best way to know what a, not be deceived by a fake $100 bill is to know what a real $100 bill is. I want you to see, just make some statements about the true reality of Jesus Christ. He is so utterly beautiful. I could stop here, but I want to let you know everything I'm about to say about him is being counterfeited by the Revelation 13 Antichrist. Nine statements about Jesus throughout Scripture. A lot of them in Revelation, but some are outside. Jesus is the Word of God through whom the universe was created. So God, through the words of Jesus, brought the cosmos into existence. Jesus is the Son of God whose earthly life provides us with a perfect image of God. Everything that you want to know about God, you find in Christ perfectly revealed God. Three, Jesus is the Lamb of God who was sacrificed for our sin on the cross. So 28 times in the book of Revelation, he is called the Lamb. That's significant in just a minute. Whoops. Number four, Jesus is the Lion of God who rose from the dead. That's what makes him different than all of our would-be saviors. He is, his tomb is empty. I was working in the house this week of a man who was helping him stain some stairs. He was born in Bethlehem. He's a Palestinian Christian. And he's, his church is, he's seen, he's seen the empty tomb and uh, seen the birthplace of Christ as well. Number five, Jesus strengthens believers and saves unbelievers through the Holy Spirit. Huge in our study today who increases faith in Jesus. That's the role of the Holy Spirit to increase faith in Jesus. Number six, Jesus will one day rule as the only true king over all the powers and authorities in heaven and earth. Number seven, Jesus has many names and many crowns. That's in Revelation 19 because his glory is endless, so he just had a bunch of crowns. Number eight, Jesus gathers his people into a church that is called his bride who will live with him forever. 
Number nine, Jesus is one person among three persons that form our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So that's the real deal, and everything else is a counterfeit, and that's why it's so important to know who is the authentic Savior, because everything that Satan does in Revelation chapter 13 is to counter each one of those, and to say, I am a suitable Savior, and the Bible says in Revelation 13, the majority of the world buys into the propaganda that there is another Savior other than Jesus. In Revelation chapter 12, we were introduced to a figure called the dragon who was just a, a way of talking about a horrific monster of evil called Satan. He was at war with God. And in chapter 13, the dragon expands his influence through two other workers. The first is called a beast. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. The dragon gave the beast his power. So here Satan is imitating Jesus. Where do we see God in Genesis chapter one? The Bible says God was hovering over the waters. And then in John one and Hebrews one, the Bible says that God put his image into his son, Jesus Christ, who lived for 33 years on earth. And here Satan is trying to mimic God by the sea, putting his image into the beast. We see more similarities of imitation. The beast had 10 horns with 10 crowns on its horns. Revelation 13, Jesus has so many crowns on his head that he has earned and he's won because he was in the game, he was in the fight. Satan simply puts these on his head and says, worship me, they're artificial crowns. Verse three, one of the head, again talking about the beast, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. We said this was a little mystery last week, but there's something about Satan that boasts of a crucifixion like Jesus and a resurrection like Jesus. And we know that there has been only one person in all of history that laid down his life for sinners, and that was Jesus Christ. Satan certainly never did that but he imitates Christ in the crucifixion and the resurrection. That was all of last week's study. Now we come to see another way in which Satan mimics the true Christ. So then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had 10 horns like a lamb or had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Again, Satan imitating Jesus Christ looks like a lamb. 29 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called a lamb. And here the second beast appears to be a lamb, but when he acts and when he moves and when he speaks, he is a destructive dragon, but he looks like a saving lamb. Again, this is all trying to get in your head, trying to build this barn. What is Revelation 13 about? It is about a counterfeit savior, Satan saying, I can save you as much as Jesus can. So here he's imitating the lamb of God. So you have one beast that came out of the ocean, one beast that came out of the lamb sent by Satan, the dragon. So I think this would be a good time for me to stop, do a little bit of review of last week, and to talk again, because this is what Revelation 13 about, is this concept of, of the Antichrist. 
Again, as I said last week, his name is not used in the book of Revelation. He is in the book of Revelation. He is in chapter 13. He is the beast, but he's only called Antichrist in First and Second John. But if you look at Revelation, or you look at this word Antichrist, and I would say to you, just looking at that word Antichrist, what do you think it would mean? I think you would mean, you would say, oh, that means somebody who's against the Christ. He's against the Savior. He's against God's anointed king. He's against, anti, in opposition to. But I want to submit to you today that I think you might better understand Revelation 13 if you understand that Satan's primary strategy is to be a counterfeit Christ, a false savior, promising that he is better than the Christ. That's how he's the Antichrist, is he is a counterfeit Christ. And that's what we're going to see over and over again. The very fact that Satan tries to mimic Christ, tries to mimic God, lets you know that he has a failure already. He's almost like somebody who didn't have the courage and didn't have the stamina to go to the police academy and to become a real law enforcement officer. So he just goes by a uniform and a badge and impersonates, but has no authority and only impersonates. Satan has no authority to be God. He's not a creator. He's not a selfless, sinless savior. But he puts on, in Revelation 13, he puts on this uniform of being a savior and persuades the majority of the world, I'm a savior, even better than Jesus Christ. That's all Revelation 13 is about, is Satan trying to persuade us that he is a suitable savior. The second beast, this is where we really see the similarity between the Trinity that we worship and this Trinity of evil in Revelation 13. The second beast exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. So just so you can know, so what we've seen here is we've got yet a first beast, that's the Antichrist, Saw that last week. Second beast, this is the propaganda arm of Satan who tries to make everybody worship the Antichrist. This is the role. Why why today are we talking about a second beast? When we looked at the first beast last week, it is so that you'll understand The role of the second beast that we'll see in a few minutes is called the false prophet is to persuade people to worship the Antichrist as a suitable savior. And all of these, of course, are sent by the dragon who is is Satan. Now, look how this trinity of evil, this unholy trinity of evil, mimics what the Holy Spirit came to do in the life of Jesus Christ. So here's the gospel, our trinity. God the Father sent God the Son to die on a cross for our sins. And when Jesus returned to heaven, Jesus sent God the Spirit to live in your bodies. Today, if you're a believer, 
You've been cleansed by the blood of God. You're filled with the spirit of God. And your father for eternity is God. That's the Trinity. And the one who helps you believe this, the one who helps keep riveting your attention to Jesus Christ and keeps you believing when it's so hard to drag yourself in here is the Holy Spirit. He's the one who whispers in your ear and massages your heart and says, Christ, Christ, Christ. Look how this Jesus told us it would be this way in at the end of his life, the last night of his life, Jesus told his disciples, when he comes, the Spirit, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment, the Spirit of truth, and he will guide you into all truth, and he will glorify me. So Jesus said, there's gonna be a third power from heaven, the Holy Spirit, and everything he does is gonna be to tell the world about me. Look what the second beast does. He tells all of the world about the first beast and makes the earth worship the first beast. He is the equivalent of the Holy Spirit. He is the worker of Satan that is in charge of all of the propaganda of telling the world that the Antichrist is a suitable savior He's mimicking the Holy Spirit in everything that he does. So whenever you see the second beast in Revelation 13, I want you to think about the role of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels. Just as the Holy Spirit helps you love Jesus, the second beast helps the world become more and more committed to the Antichrist or or the beast. So... How does he do it? It performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people because of the signs it was given, power to perform on behalf of the first beef. It deceives. It deceives. Let me read that again. Just one second. I want to make sure I didn't miss something I wanted to. One second. I wanted to get to you. We'll start again. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of, of the earth. So you have this fake Holy Spirit causing people to worship this fake Christ. Second beast persuading people to worship the Antichrist. Look at how the Holy Spirit worked in the Gospels to cause people to see Jesus. After they prayed, Acts 3, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to what? to the resurrection of Jesus. So when the Holy Spirit came, he caused all of the world to say, Jesus has been crucified for your sins and risen from the dead. That's what the work of the Holy Spirit does. And now you can see that the work of the beast is to use his propaganda power to cause people to worship the Antichrist. So when you think about 
The second beast in Revelation 13, and even though this is a lot for you to comprehend, I want you to think propaganda. How does Satan spread propaganda in life? He spreads propaganda through the second beast who calls people to put their hope in the Antichrist. If there was ever, if there was ever a propaganda machine in the world, sort of a glimpse of the power of the Antichrist working with the propaganda machine of the second beast, it would have occurred during the World War II when Adolf Hitler took over Germany and his propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels, was in charge of telling all of Germany that Hitler was a good man. Let me give you a definition. So Adolf Hitler, obviously head of Nazi Germany, Joseph Goebbels, minister of propaganda in Nazi Germany. Have a definition of propaganda. Information of a biased or misleading nature designed to further a political, moral, or spiritual agenda throughout culture. This is the job of the second beast in the first century and in 19th century, 20th century, and in the 21st century to use lies, propaganda, in order to advance a political, moral, or spiritual agenda in culture. That's the job and the role of the second beast. He is a propaganda machine. Let me just give you a definition or a quote from Gary Kasparov, who's a former Russian champion in chess. The point of modern propaganda isn't only to push an agenda, it is to exhaust your critical thinking to annihilate truth. So Hitler, when he wrote Mein Kampf in prison, he said he had two goals. One was to exterminate the Jews. And secondly, was to just teach people how to say a few lies, and he called them big lies, a few big lies, and to say them over and over again until the population was exhausted and no longer knew what truth was. This is the work of the second beast. He is the propaganda arm of the unholy trinity of Satan, Antichrist, and the false prophet. Let me just give you a, quote, a few quotes out of, out of the Nazi Germany years of what Joseph Goebbels and his propaganda machine believed. It is the absolute right of the state to supervise the formation of public opinion. So here state, the state, the government, shapes our values. Joseph Goebbels, again, if you tell a lie long enough, it becomes truth. That's the philosophy of propaganda. Third, think of the press as a great keyboard on which the government can play. Again, Goebbels. And finally, what we know happened in World War II happened because of this quote right here. This Joseph Goebbels said, a Jew is for me an object of disgust. I feel like vomiting when I see one. Christ could not possibly have been a Jew. It is not necessary to prove that scientifically. It is 
a fact. This is the power of propaganda, whether it's first century or, or now. So how did it work in Nazi Germany? In order to spread lies, the Nazis bankrupted all of the Jewish newspapers and then bought them and then began to spread propaganda through formerly Jewish newspapers. At the height of the propaganda regime, Joseph Goebbels managed 3,600 magazines in Germany. That's why the people believed as they did. Listen, if you lived in German towns, it did not go without notice that your Jewish neighbors were disappearing. They were here yesterday, they're not here today. They were here last week, they're not here this week. Why did you not, or why did, you know, you, us, why in 1938 through 45, why did, why did all of this happen? Propaganda. It's a very, very powerful tool. Big lie, said enough, all of a sudden it annihilates the ability of people to, to know truth. If you want to know how effective propaganda was, let me just read you this quote of how effective it was on the church. You say, Richard, what, you know, like, why do I preach like I do? I can't, obviously, I can't change culture. I'm concerned about the protecting the church in this generation because it too can be subjected to propaganda. Frederick Debellius was a bishop in Germany. He was recognized as one of the most influential Protestant leaders. In 1933, he preached a sermon from Romans 13 and told his congregation, Romans 13 says, obey the government, which we certainly understand why God created the government. But in his sermon, he said, all of the policies that the Nazis were using to seize power should not be of concern at all. He told that from his pulpit. And three days after he preached his sermon, the German parliament dissolved and Hitler took over the nation. And within 12, million, within 12 years, within 12 years, six million Jews were slaughtered and World War II would eventually claim 75 million total lives. And it was all because of the power of propaganda. This all falls under the influence of the second, the second beast. The second beast performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. I think that John mentions fire said, you know, I'll do this again, thank you. The reason why he mentions fire is because when you think fire and a prophet, you probably think the Old Testament, 1 Kings chapter 18, when Elijah was battling the false prophets of Baal and he won his argument and proved that God was God by causing fire to come down from heaven. So I think whenever you see that this, this fire happen in Revelation 13, I think you should start to understand that this, this second beast is going to come through the religious element. 
We saw that the first beast works through the state, works through terror when the state tries to annihilate the church. The second beast works through the church and in the church even as a miracle worker in order to deceive the church. And that's why he's, the second beast is eventually called a false prophet. He's inside churches teaching false things. Revelation 16, then I saw three impure spirits that came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the false prophet. Then I saw three impure spirits. They came out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So again, just, I just don't want you to miss that. I just want you to see this. So you've got Satan, the dragon, and then you've got the beast who's the antichrist, and then you've got, you know, you've got the false prophet. So you have an unholy trinity of evil that seeks to persuade people in this world, do not worship Jesus Christ. He is not a suitable savior. Pressure of the state calls people, takes people away from Christ and the religious power of the second beast using propaganda of all sorts of means of persuasion also causes, turns people away from worshiping Jesus Jesus Christ. Because of the signs, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, beast it deceived the inhabitants of, of the earth. I don't know what kind of miracles it can do. I would tell you this, I think in our generation now, there are some churches that, that, that tend to look miraculous well, there are some churches obviously focus on nothing but the miraculous, but then there's other churches that because of their reliance on technology, they're relying on a, reliance on a slick, compelling preacher that people will say there's nobody like him in the city, there's nobody like him in the country, that he does tend to be viewed as a miracle-working wordsmith. There are many ways I think the miracle-working power of the beast but the bottom line is that the, be- the second beast will deceive through the use of religion. The devil is perfectly happy for every human on earth to be on a spiritual journey as long as it causes them to conclude that something other than Jesus is worthy of their worship. You're made in the image of God. Of course, you're going to be a religious person you can hardly find any true atheist in the world. It's like only 4%. Throughout all of history, religious people have been like 96% and there are so many religions in the world and even within Christianity, there are so many then denominations and some of them are not Christian at all. But Satan loves for us to be religious. He doesn't care at all about somebody saying the name of God, somebody saying they believe in God, somebody saying I feel like I'm close to God, as long as it leads you away from the Son of God, Jesus Christ. This is the purpose of the second beast, to use religious language, to use religious persuasion to draw your heart affection away from Jesus Christ. If you feel like you were close to God through music or art, 
or exercise, if you feel like you encounter God through political activism or saving the planet or sacrificing everything for your family, if that is the essence of religion for you, then Satan will encourage you to pursue that as long as it keeps you from pursuing Jesus Christ. Even the world will permit a church that talks about saving the planet, but the world will not permit a church that talks about God destroying this planet and the end of times and replacing it with a new heaven and earth which is covered every square inch by the righteousness and holiness of Jesus. So combining everything we've studied in the past few weeks, Satan is at war with God. The main worker that he uses is a beast called the Antichrist. That beast may be the power of the state. It may be the power of media. It may be the power of culture. But it's desirous to annihilate the church. And the second beast rises up, the propaganda arm of Satan, to cause people to worship the first beast. Religion is going to play a huge part in the end of times in trying to bring the church down. Let's look one more time at the pressure that he uses. The second beast ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship it to be killed. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, everybody in the first century knew exactly what that meant. That the state, the government, trying to annihilate the church, intimidate the church, told everybody, you must worship Caesar. And then the state went inside the temples in all of the major cities and constructed idols of Nero or Vespasian or Domitian, all the Caesar, all the Neros, I mean, all the emperors of Rome. And when you were in that temple, if you did not worship Nero, everybody in that city knew it. If you were in that temple and you didn't worship the God that the state had selected You'd be outcast from your, your guild where you worked, maybe the community where you lived. You may even lose your life. So people in the first century knew what it was that a beast could be constructed, an image could be constructed, an idol that could cost them their life. But even before Jesus, 600 years before Jesus came, people knew also what it was like to go face to face with an image constructed by the state. In Daniel chapter three, Nebuchadnezzar, pagan king of Babylon, erects a 90 foot statue and gives an order that everybody must worship this image that he created. And if you don't worship the image, you die. This is how the law sounded. 
Daniel 3, then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, you must fall down and worship the image, same as in Revelation 13, that the king has set up, and whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing fire. And when the horn was sounded, you can read about it later today, everybody in the city fell on the ground worshiping this image to this king except three people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were arrested. They were taken to the Nero. I mean, they were taken to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, who told them you're going to die because you won't worship the image. This was their response. Your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So I think we can say that the image that's set up by the second beast is any pressure in culture that if you do not submit to that pressure, it could cost you financially, it could cost your career, it could cost your family, it could cost your relationships, ostracized, persecuted, put to death. If you live in a Muslim country, I would say where you'd say extreme, Islamic extremist. And five times a day where the call to worship sounds out, I would say you would understand if you're a believer in that country, you would understand the pressure of bowing or not bowing to a force that could take your life. There are a lot of people in the world that understand what it means to be face-to-face with an image that could take their life if they don't submit. Can we relate to that here? Absolutely. I think you could talk today to many university um, trustees over colleges uh, or board members of corporations that they have printed out on forms that you got to fill out if you work there, you study there, all these outrageous pronouns, whereas five years ago we knew without a shadow of a doubt there are two genders in the world, male and female, and now because of pressure of this image, this pressure from the second beast, you're going to lose your job. People are in high positions of authority, are writing things they don't believe in order to keep their job. We know the power of propaganda. We're seeing it. We know the power of the second beast. We're feeling it. If you're a student here, or you're the parent of a student, I know that you know the power of the second beast. You know the power of propaganda. That your child goes to that school, and if they had not listening to the right songs, not watching the right videos, not using the right language, which probably is not good, they're not accepted in certain groups. If you don't hurt for the cultural pressures by this image of the second beast on our students, you're just out of it. There's so much pressure for them to bow down, to be accepted, and to choose the Antichrist as their 
Savior. And I mean, we feel it as adults as well. So I think when we talk about the image comes to life in, in, that, in that verse, I think really, see I can find that, the second beast was given power to give, yeah, to give breath, at this, just to give breath to the, to the image. I, I, th- I think that simply our culture is a way of saying this is life. Life is found in fame. Life is found in beauty. Life is found in educational status. Life is found in your finances. And so I think that the image, the thing that comes to life is the power in our culture that says this is life and if you're not a part of it, you're gonna miss out in life. I I think that's really what it means for the image to come to come to come to life. Another quote, to be accepted by the culture of the 21st century, you must accept the idols of the 21st century. But believers who've already been accepted by the true king do not seek acceptance by a deceived culture. It's the only way to resist. You gotta find your acceptance by the king of the universe who's already loved you, died for you, has a home ready for you. Let me uh, conclude our study today with, (laughs) I saved the most controversial part of chapter 13 till the end. A little over time, sorry about that. Revelation 13, 16, it also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands, on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. The number is 666. So first of all, let me just say this. I'll clear this up fast. It's run on time. I don't need to spend any more time on it. I don't think this is a physical mark on your body. I don't think it's your credit card. I don't think it's a barcode. I don't think it's your COVID vaccine. I think the mark is an invisible sign of loyalty. Who are you loyal to? Because we see this in Revelation chapter 14. I looked and there before me was the Lamb, Jesus, standing on Mount Zion and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. So I don't think when we go to heaven, you're gonna see every single believer, billions of believers walking around in heaven with the stamped on their head, child of God. I think they are sealed with a loyalty. They're sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, God knows who are his by the spirit that he's placed within them. So I think God knows who belongs to him and I think that Satan knows who belongs to him as well by the loyalty either to Jesus Christ or loyalty to the Antichrist. I think the mark is a sign of loyalty. Who are you loyal to when it counts? And lastly, let me identify this number 666. I know you've been waiting since we began our series, who is 666? I'm gonna tell you today, I figured it out. There are a lot of people in life that are convinced that, I mean, for 21 centuries, been trying to figure out 666, and there's a whole field of study 
it's called gametria, that you can attach numbers to letters and come up with somebody's name. And people have gone into this and through every century, they have contrived these numbers. They've arrived at a, and they arrive at a decision they already made. They said, I want this person to be the Antichrist. And so they add up all these numbers. And hey, that's, when I was in college, I had an English teacher who gave me a C on everything I wrote. I'm not a great writer. I'm not a bad writer. I'm not a C writer. I left that semester knowing that she was the Antichrist. <laughs> so you can say the Antichrist is whoever you want it to be, but it's a lot more simpler. It's, it's a lot simpler than that. 666 is a number of inferiority. It's a number of incompleteness. It's a number of insufficiency. 777 is the number of perfection. Yeah, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Triune God, 777, infinitely perfect. 666 is the number of man. So the whole role of the beast in Revelation 13 is for you to put your trust in that which is incomplete, that which is inferior, either putting your trust in man or something made by man, but everything that man touches, even though the Antichrist promises that it will save you, it is always 666, and God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are always 777. The only ones who can save you are the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You've tried everything else your whole life. You've been chasing to find satisfaction in 666. Today, would you place your trust in 777, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org. We hope you can join us again next week.